Hi, I'm Susanna Mars. Welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. I'm also filling in for Dine Roberts on stage and studio at KBU. I'm Susanna Mars. Welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. Today I'm talking to Rusty Tennant, who's the director of Cabaret at the Funhouse Lounge. It's going to open on Thursday, May 17th and run through June 2nd, Thursday through Sundays at 7 p.m. Welcome, Rusty. Hey, thank you. Yeah, it's so good to hear your voice. Uh, yours too, well. When DeMay Roberts told me that she was going to be involved in Fuse Theater Ensemble's production of Cabaret, I just knew I wanted to talk to you about it, so I zipped around on the Internet, and I was reading your mission at Fuse Theater Ensemble, and I just loved what it said. Our audience, we dare them to exit their comfort zones. Comfort zone, exactly. Our peers to collaborate before competing. Yes. Our community to manage our resources sustainably and shift the paradigm. Can you elaborate on any of those and pick your favorite first? Um, uh, sure. I mean, you know, we choose definitely like to find theater in new and unique places. You know, we did Midsummer Night's Dream down at Bagby Hot Springs a few years ago. And we just like to take theater to places that maybe necessarily we don't necessarily expect theater to happen in. So that that's about, you know, getting people to exit their, uh, the, the comfort zone of the theater. In terms of daring our colleagues to collaborate before competing, um, you know, it's theater. It's hard not to be competitive with one another. It's hard not to say, why did they get that and I didn't get that? Um, but I think it's really just a shift of focus. It's just, you know, for instance, um, at the end of our auditions, we held auditions for Cabaret. And at the end of that, um, not only did everybody, you know, get get a, a response from us and everything like that, but in the interest of collaborating instead of competing, we invited all of the people who auditioned to us uh, for us to come to our um, invited dress rehearsal on Wednesday night, mm. uh, this coming Wednesday. So, you know, just fostering that that notion of like, listen, just because it didn't happen for you this time, you know, I 
it may happen for you in the future and we should be supporting each other as much as possible. It's hard enough to do what we do. <laughs> you know, right. um, we don't need to be going at each other. So uh, you're really developing, yeah. developing that sense of community really deeply. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and you know, just in general, uh, theater has, has in many ways found it, uh, itself in a rut over, you know, the past half century to century, you, you could probably argue. Um, and, and there's some, you know, personally, um, I feel, and I, you know, as an ensemble feels that there's some real paradigms in theater that need shifting. And I mean, you know, it, it, it goes as far as, you know, uh, you know, or as, you know, taking things, uh, pieces of theater out into nature, but it's also the things like, you know, making sure that people have equal representation, making sure that, um, women are at the, you know, lead of the, uh, of the ensemble and Yay. all those other sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean. <laughs> There's just a lot of paradigm shifting that needs to happen, and we just want to make sure that it's part of what we do every time we take on a project. Yeah, I'm really fascinated with that particular subject because theater has often been uh, offered to people at the top of the food chain, and now we're seeing with equity, diversity, and inclusion not only audience wanting to open our doors to audience and not only open our doors but actually invite them to be a part, not just come into our house, but this is your house. Your house, too. Exactly. Yeah, and that's exactly. a real big shift because uh, I've spoken about this with many types of artists, opera, theater, you know, symphony, and it's the same uh complex question. And when you go out into a community, does your audience follow you or are you encouraging people who may not have access to theater? Are you encouraging new audience in, you know, interesting spots? Yeah, yeah. And D-Man, I actually, as soon as I get off the phone with you, we're going to go to PSU and uh, and speak with a class about that, you know, that very topic. Mm. We need to be able to open things up and you know, Fuse is, is doing some things. Um, uh, uh, we're setting up uh, an, a, a POC-specific night so that POC people actually have a discount to come. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that, you know, a lot of times when people of color sit down in a theater, they, they are automatically feel othered because they are still, you know, oftentimes a drastic minority mm-hmm. in the audience space. Mm-hmm. And so to create a night where people can come and maybe not feel so othered uh, is certainly something that, you know, we want to promote and, uh, you know, be a part of, no doubt, as it goes forward. So, and also just, you know, representation and casting, representation within our own ensemble, making sure that, you know, we are, we're appealing to the people that, we, you know, we, we say we want to appeal to. You know, one of, the, one of my favorite quotes about uh, uh, Portland that a friend of mine says quite often, friend Ernie, who's actually in the show as well, Ernie LaJoy, who you probably know, mm. um, he often says, you know, um, Portland, a place where we can, you know, celebrate diversity and inclusion and uh, intersectionalism, but we never actually have to be faced with it. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's a real challenge that we have, not just in our arts in our city, but in our city alone. You know, we, uh, we definitely need to start broadening the table, who's sitting at the table. Well, and also I think we have to remember to sit at other people's table. That's an area which I have really had a steep learning curve. You know, I'm a resident artist at a theater company, and not only are we inviting people into the world of artist repertory theater, but it's our responsibility to go out into the world and see work that's being made already by people of color, natives. Uh, There's so much going on that is work that people are making, and it's our business to go out there and support it in every way. Exactly, exactly. 
100%. Yeah, it's 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 deep. It's a it's a super deep issue and I know Dime is someone who is just doing it, walking the walk, uh, oh, totally. you know, giving of herself incredibly doing stage and studio. Uh, you know, at Kebu is just mm-hmm. an incredible example of how she gives of herself. Uh, it's incredible what she does. She's amazing. She's been amazing to work with. And really, I mean, it's a, it's a journey in every, you know, every time you step into a character, but particularly with Frau Schneider, mm-hmm. the Bowen Schneider, mm-hmm. she's a, a, she's a, you know, that's a beast of a role. Everyone who's ever played it would say the same sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. and she's just marching through it, you know keeping the chin up the whole time and she's she's everybody i gotta be honest with you top to bottom everybody's doing a great job in this cast i'm mm. exceptionally lucky to have the, the people that i have well that's a great jumping off point to talk about cabaret which is coming up and it's sure. going to be at the fun house lounge site specific talk about how you dove into that creative process oh well you know we uh it's part of the outright theater festival which is doing and this is its sixth uh year uh, now and we've been going at it, um, uh, you know, pretty hot and heavy at the Funhouse Lounge for, I'd say, at least the past few years. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it just, you know, it became time. Fuse finds itself, you know, in our 10th, this is our 10-year celebration, and we're, we're, you know, easily the most viable we've ever been as a theater company. Mm. Um, and we, you know, probably eight years ago got together and, and uh, talked about the productions we wanted to do uh, in the future, and one of them was Midsummer Night's Dream at Bad and the other one was Cabaret at Fun Out <laughs> So nice. we, uh, we, it just seemed like absolutely the right time for us to be tackling this. I mean, obviously, there are the social overtones to it, but there's also just, you know, the thing that fascinated me the most about the piece, I mean, certainly there's the political, um, but it's this idea of a safe space and the way that we define safe space in our current society and the way that the cabaret defines safe space that society and differences and the similarities and um it it became a fascinating journey for me kind of into how some of the darker corners of society can also be safe spaces for people um and i I liken that to like the gay clubs in uh in the city and you know across the country where certainly there may be things that are not acceptable on an outside uh, to an outside eye, you know, non-consensual touch, for instance, in a gay bar is not uncommon. Mm. Um, but but it is still a sense of a safe space for gay people. Um, it's a place where we feel we can be ourselves. And and so I kind of wanted to walk that line with this particular cabaret, too. So in many uh, in many ways, it's probably a little, that's not a little bit more body. It's probably just more body than, um, than maybe your traditional cabaret. But mm-hmm. But that's also that's fuse, you know. We wanted to fuse it up as much as we could, and mm. and it's also outright festival. So I wanted to focus on the things that I felt really spoke to a queer audience. Um, and so it may be the gayest cabaret you ever see, too. Mm. It's interesting because what comes to mind is, uh, you know, during World War II when the world was compartmentalizing and human beings were having to hide so many parts of themselves. Uh, that this is a place where people can literally take their clothes off, be who they are. Is Does that yeah. sound kind of yeah, along the lines know, of what you're thinking? It's interesting. I, I think in watching the show more and more as we go through run-throughs, there is a metaphor that kind of jumps out of, of, of clothing and what it means to us and how it defines us as people and how it defines us within a gender and all these other We play a lot with it. So... 
Um, it is certainly, there's something about that idea of being able to be yourself. And whether that means you take your clothes off or whether that means you put other clothes on to become yourself, it's just, it, it, you know, it's, it's, we're paraphrasing Shakespeare all over the place. Mm. <laughs> you know, the person, let's say that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that becomes a, a, a big part of, of, of the way that I think the, the show begins to, has, has formulated. It's a big part of how it's, it's now presenting itself, at least to me. Uh, there's a statement that, that maybe I didn't necessarily um, have completely formulated when I entered the process that has kind of evolved out of this process. Well, that's my hope, that the worldview that's kind of coming to the surface through all the storm and drawing that's going on now politically is that we are uh, broadening our definition, a traditional definition of what a human being is. I'm, I think of it as an artist. You know, as you said, people are able to express themselves in lots of ways with clothing, with uh, their physicality, with, you know, how they live, with whom they live. And, you know, that's so hopeful to me, this notion of inclusivity in regard to our art and also to humanity on the whole. Yeah. I mean, one thing I will also say about this cabaret is it, it may be the most inclusive cabaret I've ever seen. We really paid very little attention to people's skin tones and people's skin color because you can get really, really bogged down in the dramaturgy of who would have been acceptable in certain places in this point in time. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of threw that out the door and we're like, you know what, this place has accepted everybody. And it was, it was complete. It was, it was post, you know, or late Weimar Republic. It was all about that sort of, um, uh, you know, acceptance of, of gender acceptance of uh, gender nonconformity, I should say, acceptance of queer lifestyle, acceptance mm. of people of color. You know, mm. there were certainly Asian and black people and, and, and even people from America, the Americas, you know, not just the United States of America, but from, you know, uh, 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 Latin American culture and so on and so forth. They were all there because it was so hot to be in Germany in the late 1920s, early 1930s. You know mm. what I mean? It was mm. a cool place to be, especially for artists and those free thinkers that they are. <laughs> what would you equate it with now in in the world? Well, you know, it's interesting. I would equate it with us. Mm. Um, in Portland? Uh, uh, it's, well, not just Portland, but the United, the United States. You mm. know, we just went through this exceptionally liberal bump, you know, particularly when you think in terms of uh, 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 Barack Obama and and people of color and, you know, and, and we're, we're still experiencing the kind of a, a liberal bump in terms of, uh, uh, of, uh, of women and progress in that area. And I think that, you know, it's certainly not, you know, parallel and analogous on every level, but this idea of this really kind of free and liberal period of time, you know, where people were celebrating and whatnot, and they, that then gets met with this complete and utter downturn um, into, I say downturn because, of course, I'm liberal, but <laughs> complete other downturn into conservatism, and and um, and you know, it, it, it's it's not similar. That's for certain. And and this, you know, again, this idea of defining safe spaces where things, you know, are still permissible, I think, mm-hmm. is certainly something that I recognize within my own culture, within the gay culture. Um, you know, uh, like I said, you know, what's permitted in a gay club anymore, and those sorts of things are really topics of discussion uh, in, in that world. So. so tell me a little bit about the music. I know Matt Inslee is your music director. What instrumentation and, and what are you doing that's, you know, busting out the sides of the music aspect? Well, 
you know, my initial idea, because it's the Funhouse Lounge, because it's such a small space, my initial idea was like, let's deconstruct this all the way down to just the piano and the performers. Mm-hmm. Which I think is, you know, in cons- in theory, a, a, not a bad idea, but of course then in, in practice, so many cues are dictated by a drum, by the mm. drum in this, the drum roll, the cymbal crashes. Um, and a really big part of the story um, uh, and help really kind of punctuate the story. Mm-hmm. So uh, after I realized that, I was like, okay, I need at least a drum. And then, of course, you know, if you're going to do drums, you need drum and bass. Mm. Um, so what we're going with instrumentation-wise is Matt on piano um, playing, you know, <laughs> everything written in the hymnal. He's, <laughs> he's an incredible artist. <laughs> he's ridiculously mm-hmm. talented. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have... Uh, uh, um, we have a drummer and a bassist, and then we supplement with some creative things within the ensemble. And I don't want to give those away because obviously they're kind of fun and creative and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So your rehearsal process, you're coming into maybe tech. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How's it going? Oh, we're great. I mean, I, I you know, I, I really do. I, I, this is again a paradigm shift, but I had to change something within myself that I recognized probably about five years ago, and that is that I was an addict of stress. Mm. And I was applying it to my my theater practice. It became a repetitive thing for me that once I got to Tech Week, I just pretty much died of stress. I I succumbed to stress. Mm. And it was exceptionally unhealthy. And I'd work myself into the ground, and and I'd look ahead at what I had to get done, and I'd freak out about whether or not I could possibly get it done. And like Jeffrey Rush says in Shakespeare in Love, it's magic. It just does happen. Mm. It always does. I'm 45 years old now. I've been doing this for well over two two decades, going on three at this stage. And, and it does. It just always does happen. At least with me, it always does happen. Yeah, um, the creative so, process is so interesting that way. I've asked myself that question in, when I'm in tech. When is enough preparation enough? Yeah, yeah. And... And, you know, I also, <laughs> we're getting very theoretical all of a sudden. That's there's fun. There's something very interesting to me about the unprepared. And I know that sometimes freaks people out. I don't want to, like, you know, this to go down the pejorative. But, but the unprepared is sometimes exceptionally exciting in the theater. And I think that the best example of what I'm talking about is, uh, is Anonymous. Mm -hmm. Um, and what they do Mm -hmm. and how exciting that is and how exciting it is for the performers because you only get that one opportunity to get it right, but also how exciting it is for the uh, the audience. You know, Ops does a similar sort of thing where it's different people walking in and they don't know what they're doing until the morning of. But, I mean, there is something exciting about the lack of preparation involved, the fact that we only get so many days to get this up on its feet. And, And I think that... You know, we as uh, as um, uh, artists want everything to be perfect. Yes. And if we are allowed our own process, we may not actually get anything up on its feet. Oh, my gosh. There's like, no perfect anyway. I, mean, I just did White Rabbit, Red Rabbit at Artist Rep, and that was yeah, another. Yeah. It's interesting yep. because when you say unprepared, it's it's really not unprepared. It's it's prepared and allowing improvisation or reality yeah. you know, it's there's so many acting terms for that but it's pretty fascinating stuff i mean i'm yeah. sure you guys have done tons of preparation for this piece and then you open the doors to letting real moments unfold that's the most exciting thing to watch well and especially with this show that literally envelops you the whole time i mean 
it's a cabaret show. Or, you know, the MC speaks directly to the audience constantly. There are moments of ad lib automatically written into the script. So mm-hmm. we're really trying to embrace that. You know, let's get a good, solid structural foundation mm-hmm. and then let each night be a little bit different. So here's a weird and funny question I like to ask a couple of out there questions. And this one sure. is what do you find most hopeful in these times? Oh, oh, my dark, dark soul. Um, what do I find? Are you crying? Hopeful? I'm not sure. <laughs> Always a little bit inside, yeah. Hmm. Um, uh, uh, what do I find most hopeful? Well, you know, I got to be honest with you. In these political times, I'm not the doom and gloomer that a lot of people are about the current administration. Yes, I think that, you know, he's crazy. <laughs> he's just over the top. Right. Um, but I also have a lot of faith in the systems and the structures to know that we're not going to fall apart before we can do something about it. Mm. Um, and so I'm, I'm hopeful about that. I'm also hopeful. I've always been and will continue to always be hopeful for the existence of art because mm. – to me, that is that's the ability to speak truth to power, no matter what the situation is. So, I'm always hopeful to be, you know, being a part of that community and and the power that we do have as artists to at least guide the intelligentsia, if not the the general public, so. and make real fruitful contact. That's so exciting. We've got the power to do that. Exactly. Exactly. And so, the second question is, what do you crave, and how often do you crave it? Chocolate 24-7. I saw that on your website. <laughs> you called it a food group. That was funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can't. Yeah, it's it's pretty basic with me. Whenever anybody, you know, first meets me or gets to know me or whatever and asks me you know, what I want for a birthday or for Christmas or whatever, I'm like, I'm basic. Anything by Shakespeare. I don't care if I already have it. I'll just take another one. Oh. Um, anything by Shakespeare or about Shakespeare that has to do with Shakespeare and chocolate. Chocolate-covered Shakespeare. Chocolate-covered Shakespeare is like literally heaven to me. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about Cabaret with me. And Absolutely. it's going to be running at the Funhouse Lounge May 17th through June 2nd, Thursdays through Sundays at 7 p.m. And you can check it all out at funhouselounge.com. Thank you, Susanna. Yeah, my pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, you too. We'll see you later. All right. Bye. Bye. I'm Susanna Mars, Ventures in Artslandia. Finally, the toast of Mayfair, Fräulein Sally Boy! Hey!